we've been looking at stuff for men, and I want to do that. I want to continue that today. I want to look at a, 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 leg, a man and his legacy, and because um, we all have one. You have one. Um, a legacy can be good or it can be not so good. But we all have a legacy, something that people re- will remember us by. In the summer of 1998, the film Saving Private Ryan was released. And um, it was about an uh, Army Ranger squad that had been given the assignment after the Allies had stormed the beach in Normandy. This squadron was given the, the commission to go find a young private by the name of James Ryan, played by Matt Damon. This squadron was led by Captain John uh, Miller, who was played by um, Tom Hanks. And there are some incredible interpersonal relationships that take place. If, if you saw the film, you know. Some of it's really hard to watch. 27 minutes of the, the, the battle on the Normandy beaches to begin the movie. But at the end was probably one of the most touching scenes and most powerful scenes of the whole movie. The squadron had made it to a, to a French village called Ramel. And they were guarding the only way in a bridge that crossed a little tributary river called Merdet. And the Germans were coming with great strength. They were waiting for air cover and this squadron of army rangers who had finally located Private James Ryan, a paratrooper, was trying to protect him and protect this little town. Captain John uh, Miller, again, Tom Hanks, was mortally wounded as just then as, as the air support comes in to take care of the, the enemy. And Private Ryan is there beside him. And Captain Miller knows that he's dying, and he mutters something that, that Ryan can't understand. And so as he begins to move forward, asking the question, Sir, what did you say? You see Captain Miller's trembling hand reach out, grab him and pull him in, and then we get to invade that conversation as he whispers in Private Ryan's ear, Earn this earn it. And then Ryan stands and the camera focuses on him as his face morphs from this young soldier in World War II to the older James Ryan, standing at a marker at Omaha Beach in Normandy. In front of this marker, his family kind of in fade in the background as his wife begins to walk towards him and she comes up beside him and she looks at this marker that he's standing in front of and she reads the name, Captain John Miller. She says those words and then the older Ryan says very quietly, yet firmly, tell me I lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. 
What was he doing? What was he asking for? You see, when Captain Miller whispered in his ear and said, earn this, what he was saying was, live a life with purpose and meaning. Live a life that has an impact. Make sure that the lives that were lost, saving yours, was worth everyone. And what the older Ryan was saying was, has that been true? Has that been true of me? Is my legacy one to be honored and respected? Is my legacy one that has changed the lives of many? That's what he desperately needed to know. Someday, you, me, our families are going to meet with a pastor. They're going to sit in a room with a yellow pad of paper, at least if the pastor is anything like me. They're going to take out a pen, and they're going to try to condense your life into two, maybe three pages. The pastor's going to listen, and he's going to jot things down, and he's going to bullet point certain aspects of your life. He's going to have your legacy written down. And he's going to have to deliver a eulogy from those yellow pages. What would you like to have written on those pages? What do you think would be written on those pages? What do you hope would be written on them? Because they will be written and they will be spoken. In the book of Nehemiah, a book in the Old Testament, following the historical books right before the poetic books as the Old Testament is laid out, are three little books that are sort of narratives but history books. There's, there's Ezra, then Nehemiah, then Esther. Nehemiah is the one I want to look at. And I want to read just a few selected passages. Because in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah says throughout the book, he says, remember me as he speaks to God. And I want to read just four different passages, beginning in Nehemiah chapter 5. Now, I'm going to be reading from a translation called The Message. It's a translation that was done by Eugene Peterson, a pastor and a scholar. Different, reading from different translations can oftentimes help us get something of the, the texture of the passage that we're reading. Typically, as many of you know, we read from an English Standard Bible. We study from that. But this morning, let me read from this. Nehemiah chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, Nehemiah says, I fed 150 Jews and officials at my table in addition to those who showed up from the surrounding nations. One ox, six choice sheep, and some chickens were prepared for me daily. And every 10 days, a large supply of wine was delivered. Even so, I didn't use the food allowance provided for the governor. The people had it hard enough as it was. Remember me for everything I have done for these people. This is an aspect of him saying, God, please remember me for the good that I have done. Then in Nehemiah chapter 13, the last chapter of Nehemiah, in verse 14, these words, 
Remember me, O my God, for this. Don't ever forget the devoted work I have done for the temple of God and its worship. During those days while back in Judah, I also noticed that people treaded wine presses, brought in sacks of grain, and loaded up their donkeys on the Sabbath. They brought wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of stuff to sell on the Sabbath. So I spoke up and warned them about selling food on that day. Tyrians living there brought in fish and whatever else, selling it to Judeans in Jerusalem, mind you, on the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath, while some may hold it in, in higher regard than others, today in our society the Sabbath really isn't that important. But what you have to remember is that for the Jew, their religion and everything that marked it was not just about their spirituality, but it was about their society. It was about their politics. It was about their economics. And so this was, this was important because it was part of their identity. And what they did is in that everything that they did, they wanted to be pleasing to God. That's the second thing. Then in verse 22, it says, Then I directed the Levites to ceremonially cleanse themselves and take over as guards of the gate to keep the sanctuary, to keep the sanctity of the Sabbath day. Remember me also for this, my God. Treat me with mercy according to your great steadfast love. He's talking about integrity here. That he wouldn't compromise on those things that were right and good. And then lastly, these two verses at the end of chapter 3. I organized the orders of the service for the priests and the Levites, so that each man knew his job, I arranged for a regular supply of altar wood at the appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. What he's saying is, I served. As a leader, I served. These words come from God himself, and they're true. And so I want to take that template that I think Nehemiah laid out and, and try to build for us a template for a legacy. Whether, whether you think you're on the right track or not, what I want you to know is that God is in the business of transforming people. We're in the middle of a, a year of, of, of transformation. We are focusing on how God transforms us. And even with our legacy, even as, as perhaps as as Bad as you may think your legacy is, God can take where you are right now and begin to turn that and make a difference. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for Artaxerxes. The, this particular story takes place in, in the 5th century B.C. And Nehemiah, as the cupbearer, has a big responsibility for the one who led the Persian Empire during that time, which essentially encompassed all the Middle East and beyond. The Babylonian Empire had just fallen. The people of Israel were being sent, some of them being sent back to Jerusalem. There was a group that was already there. And so Nehemiah is sent to rebuild the walls following Ezra's time there. And that's a whole other story, but still has to do with the rebuilding. So let's go back and take a look at this again about legacy. Nehemiah wanted to be remembered for a man who did good. That's why he writes, remember me, 
back to the ESV, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. When, when the Jews went back to, uh, back to Jerusalem, they began to divide themselves in the haves and the haves nots, the elites and the common. And what was happening was those who had, they were oppressing those who did not have. They were charging interest on money when people were trying to get back on their feet. Brothers in faith, they would charge them. And when they could not pay, they would subject them to servitude and use them for their own purposes. And Nehemiah went back and he, he called that out, even to the point where while he had a stipend that was given to him by Artaxerxes in order to carry out the work that he was doing as now an appointed governor, he said, no, I'm not going to use that. I'm not going to use that for my housing and I'm not going to use it for my food. Because he wanted to be remembered, he wanted his, his legacy to be that of one who does good. The Bible speaks about that in the New Testament about how to do good. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up. The first thing that goodness has to have is good words. We have an issue in our society of using words to tear down. When you read in Ephesians chapter 4, 29, let no corrupting word, that's not just about profane words, that's about words that harm, that destroy. If you want an example of that, we've just come through an NBA season, and it seems like every misstep a player makes, it's always, that's the target. How can I tear him down? We'll see that through baseball season and the football season. Sports is great at that, but that's also true in the academic world. It's true in the political world, regardless of what side of the aisle you fall on. And what the Word of God calls us to for our legacy is that we speak good words, but it doesn't stop just with words because it has to include acts or works. Good words and good works. Jesus was speaking in Matthew chapter 25 to a group of righteous people or people who are good. And he was telling them that I was, he said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was, I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me and the people who were good, who did good work, said, well, when did we do that? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The legacy of doing what is good is critical to who we are or who we claim to be as men or women. Just recently, I did the funeral for one of our founding members, Ron Domick. And the funeral was a, a celebration of his life, and I was privileged to be able to give the eulogy. Some of his family members, brother-in-law spoke, and his son spoke. It was, a, it was incredible. At the close of the service, there was one brother-in-law that his assignment kind of, he was not 
very comfortable speaking in front of people. He, he was given the responsibility to come up and um, invite people to a time of light refreshment over in East Hall and to enjoy some time of fellowship and then pray. And he came up and he wasn't comfortable. We had a big podium here for people to lay their notes and speak. And he came up on this side of the stairs and everyone else stood behind the pulpit. He stood to the side, not sure why, kind of placed his hand on it and nervously began to speak. And as a pastor, I'm sitting here and thinking, okay, do I have to do something or help him? And But he did everything he was supposed to do, invited people And then he said, I'd like to say something about my brother-in-law. And I wish I'd had more confidence. I didn't, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to bail this man out. But all of a sudden, he said, if somebody asked me how I would describe my brother-in-law, there's many words I I could use, but there's one that comes to mind. And he said, that word is kind. He captured the whole life of this man in one word. And it wasn't a soft kind. It was a a powerful kind. It was a goodness that came out that touched everybody that he worked with, that that he socialized with, that he worshiped with. It was a powerful demonstration of a man who had a legacy of doing good. The second thing is remembered for godliness. That's a a great way of simply saying this. He makes God happy. In Nehemiah, in chapter 13, 14, it says, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for your house. Again, because the house of God, the temple, was so important. What he was saying was, God, I want you to know that all I wanted to do was make you happy. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was by a Sadducee, a, a, in that day a, a theologian, he said, the greatest commandment is this that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. There's two things in those four words. Heart and soul has to do with Jesus must have your heart. When he spoke, he said, this is what you, he has to, I have to have your heart. But then he said, and you're loving with all of your mind how you think and plan and with all your strength how you act. He must have your obedience. To make God happy, to make Jesus happy, he has to have your heart and he has to have your obedience. There are some of you here that know the history of CCC. Most of you probably do not. You know a little bit. But in 1981, a handful of people, nearly 40, Jesus had their heart. And they felt like 
God wanted them to establish a church because Jesus wanted their obedience. And so they called a young pastor to a church that they would name Hudson Community Chapel. And that young 30-year-old pastor came with his family and together they, they acknowledged that Jesus had their heart but he also had their obedience and they began to build a church. And, and the people loved that pastor dearly and they together went through some of the most difficult days the church has ever faced, this particular church. And that People still love the church. They love the pastor. They, they continue to work hard, even with all the challenges. Not because they had an allegiance to that young pastor, but because Jesus had their heart and had their obedience. So, if, you're, if you've come to Jesus Christ through this ministry, you are their legacy. Every Micah 6-8 weekend where we're able to give substantial amounts of money to ministries all over the world, that is their legacy. Because it makes Jesus happy. It's godliness all wrapped up. A legacy that is one of goodness and godliness and then one that uh, protects integrity. Nehemiah described his protection of integrity by, by making sure that the sanctity of the temple, the sanctity of the Sabbath was protected. That was big because it touched everything. To me, I integrity is huge. I've spent my life trying to protect my integrity as both theologically and, and relationally and intellectually, socially. I remember my father was big into that. My father and I didn't get along all that well, particularly when I reached into my teen years. And for some reason, I discovered that he was an absolute idiot, and I knew everything. The truth is, I was a punk. My father loved his family, worked hard. He was a World War II veteran, and there was some emotional detachment, and there were a lot of dysfunction, just like there is in every other family, but, but what he wanted to build into his sons, myself and my brothers, was that we were to be men of our word, he was way ahead of anything I had studied yet, and he wasn't a spiritual man, but he essentially said exactly what Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Being a man of your word is important. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians these words, for our boast is this, that the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity. That's con- cons- uh, or, or consistency and untainted commitment. With godly sincerity, that's, that's a commitment and agreement with what is right. And then 
he says, by the grace of God, being completely dependent on and imitating Jesus Christ. Integrity is so important that it must be guarded. And if your integrity has ever been compromised, and perhaps it has, don't think you're done. Don't think that God can't restore that because he can. Decide even today that you'll drive a stake and say, today I will protect my integrity. Or do all of them. I will be a man who does good. I will be a man who makes Jesus happy. I will be a man who protects integrity. And then finally, I will be a man who is a servant leader. You see, when Nehemiah was closing the book, he said, Lord, I cleansed everything from foreign objects. I established the duties. I provided the wood and the first fruits. That's a servant. That's someone who says, I will do what is needed. I will, I will go. Jesus, when he talked to his disciples who wanted to be first, he said, if you're going to be first, you're going to have to be last. And you're going to have to be the servant of all. Friday, I had breakfast with a man from this church, and my friend and I met, and he's just 17 months ago lost his wife to a battle with cancer over a, a four-year illness, and as the, that cancer continued to ravage her body, it became more difficult and more difficult for him, but he continued to serve her. It was a wonderful thing to watch. And I asked him, kind of awkwardly, how he was doing, kind of knowing. But he said, well, you know, things are getting better with each day. And I said, was, was it difficult after Sue passed away? And he said, well, and he, the way we were talking, he knew it wasn't a question of whether or not it was. But he said, you know, I was so glad that she knew the Savior and she went to be with him, but I was alone and I knew I had to do something. So I decided to get involved, and he got involved here and in other areas, and he began to serve. He ushers for funerals here. He serves in various ways within this body, but he thought, maybe if I get outside and I do some other things. So he went to a place in Akron, and he said, you know, I'd, I've got some time I can give, and he he went in, he figured he just wanted to do something mindless, but you see, he had some skills. And pretty soon they were identified and they began to recruit him to help people that were in financial difficulty to rearrange their budget and to get out of debt and to find a pattern that would establish. You see, what happened with my friend Mike was he just served, but in serving, he was leading. I have a file at home, and in that file, there's a, a picture of, of me and my dad when I was probably about two or three. And we're in a park, I think it's Firestone Metro Park or somewhere, and there's a blanket out. My dad is in a t-shirt and, and pants, long pants in summer. You always wear long pants in summer. I never figured that out. And he's laying there, and I'm not going to lay down because <laughs> I probably won't be able to get back up, but he's laying there with his hand behind his head, and his leg crossed at his knee. And there's little fat Jimmy 
right next to him. I was a fat little kid and kind of returning to that right now. Um, and I'm just like him. I'm just like him. See, because, because I would follow him really because he was serving, not because he was leading on purpose. And every one of us, somebody's following. With my friend Mike, you know why people will follow him? This is why. Because he serves with humility. Therefore, he can lead with strength. It's just part of the combination. The Apostle Paul, towards the end of his life, wrote to a young pastor in his second letter to Timothy. And he wrote these words that many of you know well. He wrote this. He said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. He's simply saying this. I have... I have done what is right. I have pleased my Savior. I have guarded my integrity. And I have served everybody I know. This year I turned 68 years old. When I was 30, I thought 68 meant you were supposed to be dead. No offense to those of you who are older. But here's what I know. And I'm not being poured. I don't feel like I'm being poured out. I feel pretty good. But I can't run like I used to run. I can't lift the things I used to be able to lift. I don't have the endurance I used to have. I don't have quite the stomach muscles I used to have, if I had any. There's a lot of things that aren't the same. But here's what I want to do. I want to finish well. I want to be able to say that I did what was right, that I pleased Jesus and I made him happy, that I was a man of integrity and I served. Isn't that what you want your your legacy to be at least something like that. And I tell you again, no matter, no matter where you are, no matter, no matter what you think, no matter, no matter how you feel, how well or how poorly you're doing, Jesus is in the business of transforming. In fact, his word says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you not be conformed to this world, but you be transformed by the renewing of your mind to that which is pleasing, which is your spiritual service of worship, so that you might prove what is the will of God. You see, Jesus 
wants you to leave a legacy that will impact people for years to come. So that maybe someday, right here, at this place, some young man, probably who's about eight right now, can say, hey, you remember these people? We're their legacy. Father, thank you for your word to us this day. God, will you use it to shape us, to encourage us, to challenge us. God, all of us, all of us will leave a legacy. And when those yellow pages are laid on a table and a pen goes to those pages, may the things be written of us, of things that are pleasing to you. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.